My name is Scott Chaloner and you are listening to the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. Now, as regular listeners of our show will know very well, part of our mission here at the Leaders' Council is to bring you a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. And to this end, I'm delighted to say that I'm joined on today's show by Andy Edwards, motivational speaker and masterclass trainer and coach specialising in business relationships, leadership and business growth fundamentally. Um, Andy is also the founder of 953 Limited, a boutique speaking and training business. Um, Andy, very warm welcome to yourself today and thanks for joining us on the show. Oh, I thank you very much, Scott, for inviting me along. It's an honour to be here. I've uh, certainly had a look at some of the past guests and I feel uh, slightly humbled with regards to the company I seem to be keeping. So thank you for the invite. Yeah, it's, uh, we've had some fantastic guests on this uh, show before, and I'm certain that, um, like I say, um, you'll be sort of enlightening the listeners just as much as anyone else has that's been on the show. And uh, I think a good place to start, just for those that might not be familiar with yourself, Andy, is just expanding a little bit on your, yourself and what 953 does. I mean, I've given a brief overview as to what it is that you do there, but do tell us in your own words what it is that you do specialise in. Sure, sure. Well, 953 was born um, a fair while ago now. I've been uh, self-employed or unemployed, as I call it, for the last, gosh, 25 or so years. Um, Very keen to ensure that whatever it is that I did affected people's lives, the way they acted uh, throughout their adult working life. And and at the time, I was thinking of a name for the organization. Um, And I was just playing with the idea of time, how long things take, how long things are, um, and I settled on how long we've got. And it came to uh, came to my notice that according to the World Health Organization, um, back then, to be fair, um, the average number of months one could expect to be alive, having been born in the United Kingdom, was 953. 953. So uh, people say, well, how many is that in years? Well, it doesn't matter. It's 953 months. So less than a thousand months, fewer than a thousand months constitutes the average lifetime that we can expect to be around in the UK. So I wanted to reflect that in the name of my organization because I am a firm believer that work is very much part of who we are, part of our lives, and should be an enhancement to, not a detraction from our lives. So that's how 953 was born. Where I went with that, initially, my my academics, uh, I was lectured at university for a while in uh, on the Chartered Institute of Marketing Diploma, mm-hmm. uh, but very quickly came to understand that in order to understand marketing, you had to understand people. In order to understand people, you had to understand a little bit about psychology. You needed to go into the psychological realm, then you have to understand a little bit about yourself. So I took that journey and have become accredited in a number of psychometric instruments and consider myself working in behavioral psychology as applied to uh, all sorts of business situations, not least of which would be leadership. Yeah, absolutely. And did you always uh, sort of have the idea that this was going to be the career pathway for you, or did you kind of almost fall into it accidentally, would you say? <laughs> Heavens no. <laughs> I, uh, I'm fond of saying that I had a, a report card come home from my, my English teacher back in the day. Gosh, that would have been, gosh, in excess of 40 years ago now. Mm-hmm. But the report card said to my mother and father, Andrew must understand he must uh, he, he will never make a living simply from, from talking. And of course I have because I'm a professional speaker and, and a trainer and a coach. So a lot of what I do comes out of my mouth. So uh, my English teacher turns out to be uh, wildly wrong in his prophecy that I couldn't make a living from talking. I think what he actually meant was talking at the back of the class. So no, I didn't know this was going to be my, my chosen route. I would imagine that it started to evolve 
as I started to understand people and I started to understand the way people use each other and their relationships, how they build rapport, how they develop relationships, how respect is derived, what trust means, and thus how do we get a result from a person-to-person -person relationship, something I actually refer to as relationomics, the leveraging of best possible relationships for the best possible business outcomes. But it was definitely an evolution rather than a decision uh, or, or indeed um, uh, a, a revolution, sorry, an evolution rather than a revolution. Yeah, absolutely. And um, when it comes to sort of leadership and some of those common traps that sort of certainly younger entrepreneurs can uh, can fall into, um, something you say um, in one of your published works, actually, leadership for uh, upon the profanity, which um, I actually had the uh, the pleasure of reading, um, is that uh, leadership issues are symptoms of sort of underlying problems, and that they are underlying problems with usually the leader themselves, sometimes in what they do and sometimes in what they don't do. So what is it that sort of leaders seem to commonly fall into by way of traps that start to cause these problems from your perspective? Yeah, well, the, the book Leadership, and yes, it is a bit of a naughty title. I apologize for that. Um, it, it's, it was predicated on the idea that having spoken to so many leaders during my career as part of what I do, um, but also spoken to as many, if not more, followers and starting to understand that that difference between the two perspectives, mm. the difference between why followers think of leaders in this way and why leaders think of followers in that way. And I started to understand that there is a big gap a, a, a perception gap, if you will, the behavioral psychologist in me wants to say. So this perception gap uh, was also uh, reinforced when I read a survey done uh, I think about 2017, 2016, 2017, um, uh, and published on, on uh, HR News, quite a, a well-known website, uh, a well-respected website. And the result of the survey was something along the lines of this. 95% of senior leaders, when they were asked if they were trusted, 95% of them said, yeah, well, yes, of course I am. I'm, I'm trusted or well-trusted, 95%. Uh, when the same survey went to the followers and said, do you trust your senior leaders? The gap was startling. And I will tell you now, the gap was 16%. Mm. Just one six, not 60, 16% trusted their senior leaders. So if that, if that delusion, because that's what I refer to it as, was, was, was part of a, another business function, then that business function would be closed down. If a salesperson came along and said, I've sold 95 pounds worth of goods today, and it turns out they've only sold 16, there'd be something to say about that. And we could start to, to start to use those figures in all sorts of functions. But in leadership, that seems to be the prevailing issue. Now, whether or not that survey could be replicated, I tried a little bit on social media a while ago, and it seemed to, seemed to be upheld. But the point is, any gap, let alone that size of gap, must have something at its root. So I think leaders fall into the, uh, the mistake, the primary mistake, of not recognizing that they're only leaders by virtue of a decision that the follower takes. See, Scott, if I came to you and I said, I am now your leader, I'm sure you'd have something to say about that anyway, but mm. anybody comes to anybody and says, I am your leader, that actually goes a little bit paradoxical in my mind. Because to claim leadership is actually 
claiming dictatorship. I'm going to tell mm. you what to do. I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to superimpose that set of skills, that set of traits on you. Now, as a manager, I can do that. I can say, I am your manager. I will pay you to do this, 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 and this. And, and we can decide whether or not that's healthy. But from a leadership perspective, in the absolute fullness of the word, I cannot claim to be your leader. I can only have you claim that I am your leader. So the whole decision is based on whether you believe I'm your leader and whether you decide to follow me. And that is the starting point, I believe, for good leadership. It's, it's, a, it's a title that is bestowed upon you, not one that's claimed. Exactly right. And so when it comes to kind of coming into the building as a leader and rather than imposing leadership on those followers, establishing trust, um, what are some of the key things that a leader needs to do from the outset in order to to really capture that? Well, when we look at the academics behind uh, leadership and management, we do start to recognize whilst there are overlaps and, and we could have a long story, a long uh, chat about what those overlaps might be, but largely and very simplistically perhaps. The difference between management and leadership is you manage day-to-day resources and things and mm. projects and money and, uh, and, and the like, but you lead largely people. You largely lead people. So a leader should have at his or her heart the welfare, the understanding, the appreciation and the value of the person in front of them at the basis of the relationship. So the first port of call for any leader is to understand the people they're leading, not as a generic level, not as the resource that those people bring, but as individuals. And this is where I start to get into the idea of relationships are really the true currency of business, less Mm. so money. Money follows. If we get some great relationships going, specifically uh, relationships based on good leadership and good followership, if you get that relationship right, then that will go a long way towards the leader becoming more and more successful on behalf of and with the team in terms of their performance. So it's about the relationship, Scott. Yeah, certainly. And um, obviously when it comes to trying to maximize the development of the follower i did have somebody come on to the uh, the program um, a few weeks ago actually that suggested that when we think about leadership as opposed to management leadership needs to have an element of sort of coaching and development to it as well you need to sort of build up those people that are working with you who are sort of your human resource let's say so what would you say about that is that something that you would agree with and that should be sort of a fundamental part of leadership it has to involve developing those around you and really making sure there is that sort of progression pathway yes indeed except if the person in front of you doesn't have the ambition that you're superimposing on them this Mm -hmm. is part and parcel of needing to understand the person in front of you i've been present when leaders have mentored and coached their uh, ostensible followers Uh, talking about the rewards in the future of progression, of promotion, of higher levels of authority within the organization. And they're speaking to somebody who actually only wants to be a technical leader, wants to be somebody who's very, very good at what they do, but doesn't want the sort of thing that the leader is suggesting is available. Now, of course, that might be the only way that we can progress somebody, which I think would be a shame. But the leader must understand whether or not the person in front of them is indeed ambitious in the way that you think they are. And that requires you to understand the person. But in a fuller answer to your question, the agreement I have with your previous guest is is 100%. It has been suggested that the primary job of a leader 
is to identify and nurture the next leaders. So it needs to be utterly fearless in terms of bringing that person on and developing them. And yet, in my capacity as a trainer within organizations, I would say that fewer than one in 200, this is a rare situation of leaders, do what I consider the eight most important things that need to be done in order to develop fully the person below them. Mm. Is that worth mentioning those eight things? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, feel free. Um, it's part of my book. Um, first of all, and by the way, each of these need to fit together because if you're not doing one of them, the challenge is that they are based on each other. So I will whip through them. The first one is to jointly and regularly identify with the person in front of you, with your follower, appropriate learning opportunities based on a formal uh, and agreed development plan. So you sit there and say, what's next for you? What else for you? How are we going to get you better? How are we going to get you more efficient? All that stuff. And in agreement with them, you have that plan. And then you, number two, directly encourage that person to train and develop and offer appropriate resource or provide the learning materials for that to happen. So again, this becomes a, even more of a partnership. We've identified what you need. Now I'm going to help you get that, pay for that, resource that, or point you in the right direction, signpost that. The third point, and I'm sick and tired, to be honest, of standing up in front of a bunch of middle managers who are sitting there in front of me on a leadership or a, or a management development program telling me that their boss told me to be here mm. rather than they chose to be there. Coupled with, Others saying, I can't make the next um, next session, often at short notice. Why? Well, because my boss needs me to go and do something. Well, if the boss needs to go and go and do the training, why why is something else taken priority? So the third one is the willing prioritization of the time necessary away from standard day-to-day -day production in order to develop. Mm. Fourth one, once that once that training or development or learning opportunity has happened, then there should be an immediate immediate, within 72 hours, formal debriefing uh, of whatever that intervention had. So basically, rather than waiting six months and say, oh, by the way, that training with Andy Edwards, how did that go six months ago? How about 72 hours later saying, what have you learned? What's different? How can I support that? What, uh, what, uh, what's the stuff that I now need to understand and know? Because number five is to discuss and actively support and indeed encourage the behavior change that any learning opportunity has provided. Because unless somebody's going to do something different, i.e. change their behavior, then the learning opportunity was pretty dilute. Number six or seven, um, at that point, you offer or discuss with the person in front of you your, your charge, appropriate delegation or higher level work commensurate with those new skills. You then involve perhaps in cascading and sharing appropriate learning to the wider team. And then the last one of the eight is to review the impact and value of that learning for future recommendation or revision. Now, I'll tell you now, that's a worksheet. It's simply eight points. Do I do this? Yes or no? Mm. My constructive suggestion is to my leaders is I say, give that to your follower and get them to be honest and tick every box that you do and across in any box that you don't. And I've never had 100% come back to me yet. Which is staggering, isn't it? Because it is so, so important, um, as you mentioned there, that, you know, time is 
allowed for people to go and develop away from the workspace isn't it and this is something that has come up on the show before as well the importance of going away prioritizing that sort of personal development and then of course having that important debrief to talk about exactly what's been learned and you know what can be done better I mean that is absolutely critical I think you're absolutely right and uh, you mentioned there that um, obviously nobody's ever come back to you with a 100% 8 out of 8 and those are the uh, you know the, the 8 crucial things to sort of help maximize the development of those around you as a leader and something else that's mentioned in the book on sort of as an inverse to that is also seven leadership don'ts aren't there so just for those again tuning in that may sort of run their own businesses or organizations what sort of things should they not be doing to make sure that you know everything is running as smoothly as it possibly can behind the scenes yeah yeah ultimately um i reckon and it's anecdotal please don't ask me for the science behind this one but i i would suggest between 95% and probably 103% of problems from a leadership perspective are based are, are basically symptoms of these things the leader isn't doing. And again, I, in the book, do go quite hard in on the leader. Ultimately, ultimately, there is a part of the book that says there are certain people that you may find, once you've done all this, still are not people who are prepared to follow. And there's a little bit there. But it does start by virtue of your being the leader with in, in, it's, it's at your suggestion, it's your behest, it's your decision to make the difference. You don't sit there as a leader and say, when you change, I'll be a better leader. You start it off. You look in the mirror. So again, just whipping through them, there are seven, I believe, basic issues, fails of leadership, that if you don't do these things, you will find it is reflected back up to you from your team. But if you don't know you're not doing them and the team aren't brave enough or cognizant or aware enough or it's gone too far down the, down the line for people to unpick it, if they're not aware that you're not doing this stuff, then it's very easy for the leader to blame the followers for sullen behavior, for not stepping up, this quiet quitting that we hear so much about these days. Mm. Whereas I believe if, you start off, and this is in no particular order, although you could probably derive an order, is that if you fail to set out a clear aim or raison d'etre for the team or the company, then how do, you, how do you know that everybody's pulling in the same direction? Without a clear purpose, your followers have no direction. So make very clear the, dire- the aim, the raison d'etre of the mission for the team. Not just, what, yeah, I told them that two years ago. No, did you tell them that two days ago? Did you tell them that at the beginning of the last meeting? Remember why we're here. Fellows, guys, girls, this is why we're here. Mm. And repeat that to be really clear. I remember 50 years ago, I was a member of the Cub Scouts. Now, <laughs> it was a long time ago, but you know what? I still remember the raison d'etre. I promised that I would do my best do my duty to God and to the king now to help other people and keep the Cub Scout law, which was a Cub Scout always does his best, thinks of others before himself and does a good turn every day. That was baked in. What is the raison d'etre? What is the mission of your team? Is it baked in? Failure number one, if you haven't got that one sorted. Failure number two is failing to meet individually with each and every team member at least once a month. How on earth are you going to build up from a leadership point of view any knowledge or awareness or personal connection, or indeed good relationship with somebody, if you just say, well, I just catch up with them during the day on a casual basis. No, ring fence, 20, 30, 40 minutes of sit down, 
perhaps even over the Zoom, whatever it is, to make sure you are connecting. Now, that might not be an easy thing to start off with, but once you get a rhythm and a cadence to those meetings, you start to get fruit out of them. Meet with your, your one-to-ones every single month, at least. Number three, if you fail to act or close the loop on a request or issue raised, I hear this so much, it's pointless us saying anything, they never do anything about it. I take this challenge to many leaders. They say, oh yeah, but, but sometimes we're really busy and we forget. And I say, would you accept that in your charge? Would you accept that in one of your team members? Oh, you asked me to do this, but I forgot, boss. No, you take them to task on that. They should take you to the task on the same thing. If it's that important, you should and will remember. You should turn to them and say, yes, get on with that. That's a great idea. Yes, that's a good idea. What's the first step? Yes, but not yet. The first three answers you give are based on yes. Of course, there may be no's, but it's a no and here's why. If you do say, leave that with me, that's your problem. Because what you need to do is go back at a time appointed, leave that with me, I will be back to you by close of play Friday. I'll be back to you by lunchtime Monday with an answer or at least an acknowledgement of I'm still on it. Otherwise, it just simply disappears. Big problem for leaders, not closing the loop. Number four of seven, failing to elicit or even being open to challenge. Why shouldn't you put yourself out there from a vulnerable leadership point of view and saying, where am I letting you down? What could I be doing better? What could I be doing more of? What isn't working for you in terms of the relationship, the stuff I'm doing, my communication? Let's have those answers because until and unless I get them, how do I know what to do for the person in front of me? So be absolutely clear that you should be open and expect challenge. Number five, be very specific in your positive or constructive feedback. To give a generic well done is nice, but it's like a sugar rush. It goes nowhere. Why is it well done? If it's like, this is rubbish, you need to do better. How do you need to do better? What is the results of it not being better? Be specific with this feedback. Take that time in order to do so. I haven't got time, says the leader. Well, you've got time to continue saying this stuff. You've got time to mop up the mess made by your not doing this stuff. No, take that extra 20 seconds and be specific in your feedback. Number six of seven, failing to say thank you. Now, of all those leadership fails, this is probably the easiest one to sort out. Mm. I did speak to a, a leader a little while ago, and they said, um, so how many times do you think I should be saying thank you? Because I don't want people to get used to it, you know. And it just missed the point. <laughs> you, you, you don't want people to live in, in, in an environment or a work culture of appreciation and value. And he said, well, you know, I, I pay them well to do a good job. And I say, yeah, and you look at the staff churn you've got right now. And that's part of the reason I was in there trying to help them. They said, so what, once or twice a week? I said, once or twice an hour. He nearly fell off his chair. I said, thank you should, be, should just be your prevail. It should be where things start from, an attitude of gratitude. And then the last one is, especially if you are a bit of a head honcho um, and sort of a, quite a senior leader, failing to maintain visibility and communication in general, mm. basically opening mm. yourself up to the charge of, of the followers feeling a little bit abandoned by the people right at the top of the ivory tower. They're not in touch. So back to the floor we're with you. Um, make sure that you're in touch with absolutely what's going on and make sure that visibility and communication in general is upheld. What it all boils down to is that, that leadership is, a, is, is it's, a, it's, it's bad people. That business is about people. It always has been, and I think it always ever will be. And, and too often businesses fall short, not because leaders don't understand the business, but because leaders don't understand the people that, that work for them and what they need in order 
to help those people bring their best efforts. And those would be some of the fails. And that's relationomics, isn't it? Essentially uh, managing relationships and uh, making sure that you lead on that basis. And uh, something that immediately struck me as well, uh, certainly with the uh, the first of those points, the uh, the raised on debt, let's say, that w- that's incredibly important in the here and now, isn't it? Because since the pandemic, we've mentioned this um, sort of the lot of quiet quitting that's going on recently, the, uh, the great resignation, as it's being called. And uh, a lot of that is down to the fact that, you know, we're a lot more aware of our own mortality, our own mental health and well-being since the pandemic. And we are far more purpose-driven this gen z that's coming through is far more purpose-driven and um it's very much about well why am i actually here why am i working for this business if i'm not happy and so purpose it's a huge huge aspect of essentially risk management for business leaders now isn't it i mean you've got to align the team with the purpose otherwise you're going to lose out in what is a very very difficult environment for recruitment right now Sure. And the, and the hierarchy, if, if one considers most organizations have a traditional hierarchy, and by the way, I'm all for those things, the higher up, the more in tune you are with that purpose. But what, again, I say to leaders, I look them in the eye and say, make sure that you are making sure that they understand that purpose and indeed their part in that purpose. I knew as a Cub Scout, I had to do a good turn every day. I'm not a member of the gang until and unless I do that. What are you making sure that people can buy into? You're right with the Gen Z. They're coming through mm. and they're saying, why? You know, good old Simon Sinek's out there going, find out your why. Well, p- people have their own whys as well. So find out the why. Find out exactly what is uh, what, what their part within that is. Make them feel part of that team and valued as such. Right people in the right place. Right raison d'etre. And if that raison d'etre, if that aim, if that mission, if that goal or set of goals, if that cultural set of behaviors that manifests that, that, uh, that mission is not for me, then I don't work for that company. Or if I do, it shows up very quickly and the leader looks me in the eye and says, you ain't happy here, are you? Let us work out how we can find your happiness elsewhere because it's not here. You don't belong. Simple as that. Exactly right. And, you know, trying to be sort of trying to find a way for people to belong, if there is obviously the flexibility for them to do that, it's about sort of acknowledging as well that when it comes to leadership approaches, I suppose, um, one size doesn't fit all, does it? When it comes to the relationships you have with your people, sometimes you've got to essentially lead and manage them in a very, very different way. And uh, that is ultimately what might get the best out of them. I, I think you're right. Um, literally, one of the very early chapters in the book says followers want many things, but it boils down to this, and it comes down to being treated as an individual. Mm. They, they, everybody, you, me, anybody, goes to work, has a, has a calling, a profession, a job, a, a, a career, a, a set of chores that you do for a set of reasons. Now, if I don't know what those reasons are, how can I tap into what will or won't motivate you? Do you come to work, uh, work and it will probably be a combination of these, but solely about the money? Do you come and you value the connection you make with people? Do you come because you value the fact that you're contributing, thus feel valued? Do you come to work because you do want recognition and significance in your life? There are probably many more headlines and subheadlines, but ultimately it comes down to, I come to work, boss. I come to work, Mr. or Mrs. Leader, to have my needs met. Mm. Are you part of that or are you not? And the extent to which you understand me will be the answer. 
That's exactly right. And it's plenty of food for thought for business leaders that are tuning into this programme to uh, to really consider. And um, if there is something that you do perhaps want to say on the issues that we have discussed on today's podcast, um, you can certainly leave a comment with us directly here at the uh, the Leaders Council. That would be via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash contact hyphen us. And just to remind you as well, if you are the head of a business or an organisation and you know you have your own perspective to bring directly to the discussion table, then you too can also apply to beyond the programme. And that's via leaders leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply as well. Um, for now, however, um, Andy, um, I am conscious that we're starting to uh, to run short of time. So uh, what I will um, sort of ask you is um, a couple more questions before we wrap up on the uh, the show today. Um, firstly, we talked an awful lot about the leadership do's and the leadership don'ts, but just for one of those sort of younger viewers that may be listening to this, that may have their own big idea about sort of starting a business and is yet to embark on that journey, what is probably the biggest piece of advice you'd give them to really help get them on the road to success first and foremost? That's a good old cart before the horse or horse before the cart question. Mm. My my original career, my academics are in business development. So the idea of starting a business, the idea of making sure you've got a, a plan, making sure you've done some market research, make sure you've got a product or service that fits the need, all that wonderful stuff that I'm presuming that this person, this potential entrepreneur has done. So once you do that, just bear this in mind, whatever you're good at and whatever idea you've had that starts to become manifest and you're starting a business around that, whatever you're good at will be the thing you want to hold on to most. So for instance, I've been into organizations who have built up a very good organization, a a, a good small to medium business, because the person who started it was a really good technical salesperson. Now, the challenge, of course, is as you build your organization, you find yourself being pulled a little bit further apart by virtue of your responsibilities you now have to the different people within that organization. And it pulls you away from what made this business great in the first place, which was basically your ability to sell to others. Mm. So just bear that in mind. As you start your business, what are you good at? Are you a really good bookkeeper, accountant? Do you keep an eye on the on the pennies and all that good stuff? Because there's going to come a time where you're going to lose a little bit of that by virtue of having to look after the people in your organization. Are you a good salesperson? You're going to lose that by virtue of having to look after the people in your organization. Or if you're really emotionally intelligent and secure in what it is that you are and what you do, then consider getting somebody in to run the business with your help and your guidance and your strategy, of course. But you maintain doing whatever it is that you were good at rather than becoming something you're no longer good at and watching the business founder by that virtue. Because nobody, nobody will be as good as you were when you started the business in whatever it was that you started the business in. Why? Because they would be doing it themselves, not working for you. So there will never be anybody as good as you. So consider maintaining a really good portion of that within the business whilst getting other people in to do some of the managing directing. And that's really important, isn't it? And I think it's something as well that younger entrepreneurs do tend to struggle with, you know, when they enter that kind of scale-up phase, isn't it? It's uh, it's letting go of the day-to-day to move into that more strategic role. And I suppose it's more a psychological thing than anything, isn't it? Because this this business is mine, I've built it from the ground up, and it's difficult to sort of let go of that and, and trust it to other people. But this is just the natural next step of uh, what I have to do. Well, the, cla- the classic uh, point uh, generally said on podcasts worldwide uh, is, is Richard Branson. 
you know, that guy cannot fly plane. Uh, that guy cannot run a bank. But he knows people who can and knows people who do. And that's the point. He's getting people around him who are really good at that stuff. He's very good at what he does, which is that ambassadorial, entrepreneurial ideas, strategy, the flair of the business. But get people around you who are really damn good at what they do. Pay them well and then let them do it. And I think that's going to be the bit, like you said, uh, Scott, about letting go. Exactly right. Getting the talent around you, surrounding yourself with people who are not necessarily better than you at knowing your business, but better in certain areas, surrounding yourself with the right talent. It is so, so critical. Absolutely right. And uh, mm. lastly, um, Andy, just before we uh, we finish up on the uh, the show today, um, I would like to just take a look at the, uh, the future and what lies ahead, because obviously business leaders are at a point in time where they're weighing up various options as we sort of look to either batten down the hatches or strategically invest to capitalise on what will eventually be a recovery in this quite tricky economic environment that we find ourselves in. So in the backdrop of all of that, um, what are some of your priorities going to be over, let's say, the next 12 months as you aim to help business leaders continue to navigate some of those issues that they find themselves facing? Sure. Um, To navigate the issues is a really good way of putting it, Scott, Mm. because there are always issues. I, I find it quite amusing almost when we had, and still do to a certain extent, um, some trainers coming out with, I'll help you uh, lead in uncertain times. Well, I've got to look back over the last 30 years that I've been in business. There's never been a certain time for me. If there were, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be sitting here, bless your heart. I'd be on my yacht in the Bahamas. Mm. It would, there's nothing certain. So when you talk about managing in uncertain times in the VUCA world, uh, I can't even remember what each of those stands for, but basically it's all about turmoil, it's all about turbulence, it's all about change. Mm. Absolutely mm. consider that that is the norm. So when I talk about people in uncertain times, I say, what can you, what can you uh, uh, affect directly in your environment? The stuff that's coming into you, the, the political, economic, sociological, technological stuff that's going to come at you, some of which we can't take into account, haven't taken into account, but we'll have to when it happens. That's called um, business resilience. But up to that point, what's the stuff you can do something about? And I will always ever default to doing the right thing within the business it never becomes the wrong thing. It might not work today. It might not seem to work this week. But over a period of time, doing the right thing creates habitual rightness. And the headline of that habitual rightness is to, to create, to develop, to nurture, and sometimes when necessary, repair the relationships within the business. So everything to me, whatever else is going on, is build, nurture, develop, and repair relationships. That's the thing that will help you over anything. Absolutely. And I do wish you all the luck in the world, Andy, in uh, continuing to help business leaders with exactly that, being able to build and repair those key relationships that are going to make everything tick behind the scenes. And, you know, it would actually be my pleasure, given how sort of eye opening it's been welcoming you onto the show today to maybe even have you back on the programme at some point in the future, just to talk leadership even further and see just exactly what sort of hurdles you've been helping those business leaders get over in the time between our discussions. I'd love to be able to bring you a couple of case studies. Um, If I thought about it, I could have brought you some today. But yeah, let's talk about that in the future. I'd look forward to that.
Yeah, absolutely right. It'll be a real pleasure of mine, Andy, because it's been uh, fantastic welcoming you onto the uh, the show today. And I'm sure all of the listeners tuning in will share that sentiment as well. And uh, just for the listeners listening in as well, just a final reminder that if you are a business leader um, or an organisation head yourself and you would like to perhaps bring your own perspective to the podcast, then you can do so via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply, because of course, I'd love to have you sat opposite me on the show next time around. Um, until the next time, when we'll be back with a whole new perspective on leadership and current affairs it's been my pleasure to welcome andy edwards onto today's show and thank you for your time once more andy and uh, by all means do take care and i'm sure we'll catch up very soon my pleasure thanks and as always i've been your host scott challoner on today's episode of the leaders council podcast and until next time everybody take care all and goodbye